So we're doing the last chapter of uh, John's Gospel, Jesus reappearing. Rather than reading the whole Bible separately, I thought I'd just read it through and talk as, as we go. It's not very long, but the front's a little bit complicated, so I'd better start with a prayer. Father, thanks for this opportunity to hear from your word today. Please open our eyes, our minds and our hearts to hear what you have to say to us today from your word. And may we know you more deeply as a result in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's set the scene, everyone, for the end of John's Gospel. A bit of revision. So we've had the trial, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, he's, he's appeared to a few people already. Uh, on the road to Emmaus, he saw two disciples, Mary Magdalene, Thomas, the apostles. And so it's now reality for the disciples. Um, he's gone. He said he was going, and now he's gone. And so the, whilst they believe... There's still a little bit of uncertainty now that he's not here because he provided everything they needed and they're now in Galilee because that was where they were told to go. Back in Matthew, Jesus said, don't be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. So he said, I'm going to be in Galilee and I'm going to see you there, all right? So that's where we are today. So I'll read the, the first few verses. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So we're starting here, the final chapter, and we've got seven disciples, and they're hanging near the lake. And you could imagine what the conversation might be like here. They're saying, what are we going to do? Uh-oh, he really has gone. What are we going to do now? We've got no one to follow. He said he was going to come, and he's not here. So Peter has a great idea. Now remember... Simon Peter, he's a bit impetuous. He doesn't really think much. He just makes rash decisions and he doesn't think things through very much. Um, remember that around the time of the trial of Jesus, he was the one who kept denying uh, on three different occasions that he knew Jesus and Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. What a thing to hear from, from God. And so Simon Peter just blurts out suddenly, mm, well, I'm going to go fishing which is not his hobby, because that's his professional uh, job. And he doesn't say that uh, just to pass the time. That's his job. So he's, I guess he's making a statement that he's, well, well, I'll go back to what I know best in the meantime and to my career, to my old job. And you can understand that, because he's got to make money, feed the family, you know, that sort of thing. And so the others join in, and off they go fishing. They return to what they know. But this is important. That is not what Jesus had told them to do. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. So the disciples are on the lake and things are not going well. They've been out all night fishing and they've got nothing to show for it. And for the fishermen and women here, you would know if you're out all night on, on, the, on the lake or river or sea and you didn't catch one fish, that would be incredibly frustrating. 
I will mention though, I do have a personal success rate of 100% for fishing. Every time I've been out, I have caught fish. I've never come back without one, and I've caught a total of two. But it's a good rate, isn't it, you know? So these professional fishermen, they're on the, on the lake and they're failing dismally. And Jesus, of course, knows they haven't got any fish, but he asks the question anyway, do you have any fish? They would not have liked hearing that question because they're very frustrated. They don't have any fish and they've been out all night. As always, Jesus, though, is going to make an important point through this. Here's a painting. This is um, from a French artist, James Tissot, and you can see the boat on, on the lake there, and it's got the, the seven, and Jesus is on the shore. Now, the Bible tells us in a few verses, they're about 100 yards out, which is about 90 metres. That's a, that's a bit of a fair distance. So he must be calling out to them, almost shouting out to them from the shore. And just note in that painting, there's a little fire pit behind him, smoking away. So he's preparing breakfast, as we'll learn in a moment. Here's a question. Are they in the right place? Are they where they should be? Well, you're thinking, hmm, well, they are fishermen, so where else would you find fishermen? Somewhere on water. But they're in the wrong place. And this is the complicated part. We need to go back to two different Gospels quickly. First of all is Mark, and he said this, after I have risen, so he said, I'm going to rise again, I'll go ahead of you, so I'll be there first. Where? In Galilee. That's where I'll be. That's before the cross. Then in Matthew 28, then the 11 disciples, because Judas has gone, of course, there's 11 of them. 11 disciples went to Galilee, because that's where they were told to go, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So he said, I'll go ahead of you when I come back. Go to Galilee. I'll be there. Go to the mountain. But seven of them are not on a mountain, are they? They're on a lake. They haven't listened. So, so we know the seven ended up on the lake, meaning only four followed the instruction to go to the mountain. That makes sense, doesn't it? Okay? That's why they haven't got any fish. They're not obeying properly. That's the whole point. So he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it out on the other side. The net's there, nothing. It's not a big boat, just there. Suddenly, it's full. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So despite them not being in the right place, well, they were in Galilee, but they weren't on the mountain, they are on the lake instead. Jesus still turns up, doesn't he? Even though not quite obeying, and that shows us that in our, in our failings, he, he doesn't desert us. He still, he still works with us and he doesn't ever leave us nor forsake us. So Jesus is on the shore, right? And the disciples, they just don't recognise him. And he tells them, hey, put your nets on the other side. Now, if you said that to, to professional fishermen and you were a complete stranger, you probably wouldn't listen to them, would you? Because that's your job, that's your career. You've done it for a long time, for years. And you'd probably expect the, these fishermen to ignore the stranger's advice because no one likes being told what to do, especially if it's your professional career. You don't like being told what to do. I know what I'm doing, is what we always think. But there's something in, in this stranger's voice and in his command that makes them obey. And of course, 
they do, and they put the net on the other side, instantly, miracle, the net is full of fish. And so the, the point about this is that you can, you can labour in vain for God and see no results, or you can obey the command and then see miraculous results more than you could ever in, imagine, and that's an example of God's power. So that's the first key point today. You can labour in vain, or you can do what God says and have success. Keep that in mind. Verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. Of course, it's probably hot on the bait, right? It's hot and he's sweating and, you know. For he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, but they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. I think this is a beautiful part of the chapter. Simon Peter, who had denied Jesus a little while ago, upon recognising that this is actually Jesus on the shore, just instantly forgets this massive, miraculous haul of fish, and he ditches his mates, right, who were struggling with this enormous catch, and he quickly puts on some more clothing, and he just jumps off the boat into the lake, and he just starts swimming like crazy. Imagine that. He, just, he can't get to Jesus fast enough. Isn't that nice? After he's denied Jesus three times, he's like, I'm not doing that again, and he jumps in and goes straight for the shore. And the excitement of the huge catch of fish means nothing to Peter. He's only focused on getting as close as he can to the Lord Jesus. This is the same French artist, but a different painting. He's painted a few for this scene here. Uh, it's called The Second Miraculous Draft of Fish. So you can see, look at that picture. It's amazing, isn't it? The, the net is overflowing. And, and they all need help to drag it. And you'll, if you can see there, there are, there are actually six of them. Of course, the other Peter, he's not there, but... Anyway, you can see the many fish that have been caught and the net is it's absolutely heaving and they have to, the six of them have to drag it in to the shore. Look at, look at the disciples, look at the angle. Like, they're on like 45 degree angle, aren't they? And they're, they're, they're just, you can see the, the weight that they're trying to drag onto the shore. And we learn in a few verses time that there actually are 153 fish. doesn't mean anything symbolic, I don't think. This means there was a lot of fish. It's extraordinary. Hours and hours and hours fishing all night and they got zero. Jesus goes, put the net there and it's full. There's 153 of them and they're the large fish too. And you can see Jesus is still there on the shore watching them and he would have been calling out while they're on the lake from the same spot. So remember, you can labour in vain under your own steam or you can have success for the ministry God's given you when you follow his leading and calling. Is this fishing scene familiar? You know how the Gospels sometimes, they, they retell the same story? There's another scene, like, it's not the same story, but it's the same storyline. This is very interesting. Let's have a look now. So we're doing John today, but we're going to quickly jump to Luke 5. Different Gospel, same story, but different setting, okay? Different situation. Verse 4. So when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, 
We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So far, same story, isn't it? When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Then Jesus said to Simon, this is important, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So, so the disciples in John had been fishing for fish, but Jesus told them in Luke 5 that that work would stop, the fishing of fish would come to an end. They wouldn't be fishermen and sell fish, they'd instead lead people into God's kingdom and they'd be fishing for people and not fish. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, back in John now, but even so many, the net was not torn. There's a bit of a difference between these two. I'll come to it in a second. Just on the next one, you can... Another painting there. Now they're sitting down in John eating breakfast. Jesus had some fish and he's brought some more in. So let's, let's compare these two storylines. They're different... Sorry, same storyline, but a bit different. They're different situations. So you've got Luke pre-cross and John post-cross. Fishing all night, fishing all night. Catch nothing, catch nothing. Miraculous haul, miraculous haul. The nets break, the nets don't break. And the ships start to sink, the ship doesn't sink. It's interesting, isn't it? Why the difference? Well, the first time they were catching fish, but Jesus said that that would stop and instead they would be fishers of men. So Luke 5 is about showing them his supernatural power. But John 21 is about making disciples and drawing the lost into his kingdom. And Jesus is saying that he will rescue the spiritually lost. He's saying the gospel's unstoppable. That's why the net can't break. They will bring people in. He will bring people into his kingdom. And uh, this will not fail. And the gospel net can't break. It's impossible. Once you're in the net, you're in the net. And you may stumble and fall, but there'll be no sinking ship. And the storm will come and waves may toss your boat around, but it will absolutely not sink. Isn't the Bible clever? It's amazing. No one could make that up, no human. So the key point two today, the second one, is that Jesus calls us to partner with him in the work of making fishes of men and women, and also he provides the opportunities to bring in a big catch. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, so the disciples were called to be fishers of men and women, but we are too, aren't we? Now, don't be frightened by that, but we have to do it. And once you get into the habit of it, it's not that hard. So I'll give you a couple of little personal stories. We've had, a, we've had a naughty boy at school. 
What will I call? What's a naughty boy's name? I'll call Adam. We've got a system at school where kids who are a bit naughty, they go on this thing called a monitoring card, and there are three levels. There's level one, and that's like low level. That's when they're, they're not behaving right, and they need a little bit of extra scrutiny and supervision. And they get a level one card, which they take around to class all day. And the teacher has to write a comment how they're going, whether they're satisfactory or US unsatisfactory. And then the next one, they have to take it to the head of primary or secondary for checking. Most kids do a write on that card. And then if they don't, they have to go to level two. It's the same system. It's a different colored card. And you have to give it to your teacher every period, and they write whether they're satisfactory, unsatisfactory, and a little comment. And then it goes to uh, Jason, the deputy, for checking. And if they don't comply, they're on level three, and there's no level four, so it's like almost end of the road. It's quite serious. And then they have to report to me. So Adam's been coming to me with his card in the morning, and he's got these US's on there, and he was very upset one morning. I said, you look a bit down. And he said, I know. He said, if I don't fix this up, I'm going to be out of here. I'll have to go to another school, and I don't want to go. And he said, I just can't do it. I just can't, I can't not get these unsatisfactories, but I've been trying. I said, well, I better say a prayer then for you, that you get through the day. He goes, all right. So I said the prayer, and I just asked God to help him not have any US's on his card. And he didn't say anything. I said, amen, and off he went. Well, the next morning... He arrives him off and he comes flying and he says, oh, your prayers are working. I didn't get any US's on my card. Can you say another prayer for today? I said, all right. So I, I, said, I said another prayer that God would help him have no unsatisfactories on his card and off he went. Next morning he thought, they're still working. I didn't get any US's on my card. He goes, this prayer thing's really good. I said, yes, I know, it's, it works. <laughs> I did warn him, though. I said, you don't always get what you ask for. Sometimes God says no. Uh, but he always should ask in the first place. Next morning, he comes in and he goes, I'm going really well on my card. Look, can I go down to level two soon? I said, oh, yeah, maybe. I think you're heading in the right direction. And he says this, I think I can do my first prayer this morning. Can you judge me on it? And I thought, I've never judged someone's prayer, but I'll, you know, okay, whatever he wants, that'll do. And so he looked a bit nervous, like he's never said a prayer before ever. So I said, well, off you go. Get into it. And he goes, all right, Father, please help me to have no more US's. Thanks for helping me. I'm in. And he goes, did I do all right? I said, that was a very nice prayer. I'll give you 10 out of 10. He goes, oh, yes. So he hasn't become a believer, but an opportunity arose, didn't it? Remember I said, this is about God gives you opportunities. When God's there with you and an opportunity, you can, you know, you can use it um, to show God's light and love into someone's life, speaking to their lives. So he hasn't become a believer, but he said his first prayer, and he's sort of aware now that God's real and that God's got some power to fix things. That, that's a start, isn't it? Second little personal story is I, I, I pray for some lost people I know, a couple of the, the boys down the gym, and um, I pray for this guy on my street who I don't know very well, but I, I probably have a chat with him once a fortnight. You know, like you drive in your driveway and you see your neighbour and you go and say, I'll have a bit of a, a chat. So we have a bit of a chat about life. He knows we go to church, but I've never talked to him about spiritual matters. I just get to know him a little bit. Anyway, so I keep praying for him every week and we have these talks. I've known him now for probably two, two and a half years. He's lived in the street. And on Friday, 
I drive in the driveway and I park the car and he goes, hi Dave. I said, oh, good day. And he wanders over and we start having a, a chat and we just talk, just, you know, your life talk, weather, work, family, pets, you know, gardening, whatever, what's in the news, that sort of thing, just chatting away. And then, remember, I've never said anything about God, but I do pray for him. And he said, I've been watching something really quite worrying. I said, what's that? He said, I've, I've, seen, I've seen, like, in America, there are people being interviewed by journalists, and if they mention God, the journalist cuts them off. And it's like they stop them talking about God. And he goes, I'm not a Christian, but I think that's a bit of a worry. And I looked at him, I thought, is this an opportunity? So he said, I'm not a Christian, but I've been thinking about things like that. And I thought, oh, maybe God's answering my prayer and I wasn't even aware of it. And so I thought, oh, well, here's an opportunity. Might as well take it. That's what God's probably done today. And so I said, well, I wasn't from a Christian family. And I told him my conversion story, my testimony from when I was at a uni. And I said, that's my... And I said, these Christian girls didn't push me. They just... I just saw something different in them and they invited me to go to Christian talks at lunchtime at uni. And one day I thought, I think this whole Bible thing's real. And then I said a prayer and I became a Christian. He goes, oh. I said, oh, maybe I can give you something to read or watch. Would you like that? He goes, yeah, okay. So I thought, this, this is good. Like, so we're called to be fishers of men and women, but don't be frightened by it because God's there with you and you've got the best news in, in the whole world. So if you... Don't do it under your own strength. Like if, you, if, you, if you ask God, it's a dangerous prayer, I challenge you, get on your knees and ask God for an opportunity and just wait and see what happens and it will absolutely come along, maybe when you least expect it. But I pray for lost people regularly and uh, I know God is answering those prayers. And, you know, the Bible says that people are born with scales over their eyes and the scales, plural, have to fall down. Maybe sometimes all the scales fall down at once. You know, like those... Billy Graham crusades where thousands were just converted on the spot but maybe with some other people maybe God just removes one scale and then another one comes off and then the light gets a bit brighter so they can see and accept so that's not about me I'm just saying that uh, you can be fishers of men and women and and you've got all the weapons you need and you've got God's strength and if it if it frightens you a little bit just start by saying God Please give me an opportunity to share your news with someone and may their names end up in the book of life. Let me say a prayer. Father, thanks for your word today and uh, the great example to be fishers of men and women. So, Father, I pray for each of us here today that you'd, you would just miraculously create opportunities to share your light with those around us who don't know you, whether they're neighbours or friends or relatives or colleagues at work, that you would please uh, go before us and just start removing those scales on those people's eyes. Give us the right words. Give us lots of boldness and courage. And we pray, Lord, you would use us in mighty ways to seek and save the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.